Okay, it's Eerie Encounters with Sarah and Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us. We are a podcast that talks about everything spooky, scary, eerie, anything goes really in our podcast. If there are any suggestions that you guys have out there, please, please let us know. So you can go into social media or through our website. Just let us know the topic or theme you want us to cover and we will give it a go and see what happens. So, my location for this episode is said to be one of the most haunted places in Britain. There has been said to be reports of paranormal activity at this location for thousands of years, including hauntings, UFOs, strange creatures, lights and sounds, and it's thought to be a hotbed of paranormal activity. It's none other than Pendle Hill. So, oh, it's... You know, I don't actually know that much about Pendle, so I'm quite looking forward to this. I fell down a real rabbit hole with this one. More like a black hole, actually. Like, it just took... It just took a life of its own. So they were accused of selling their souls to the devil. So Pendle Hill is geographically fascinating, and it's atmospheric and full of mystery. And it has this really eerie atmosphere with this rolling fog that kind of creeps across the hillside and covers the surrounding areas. But it's also absolutely beautiful and really tranquil. So we're set in the bewitching area of Lancaster, looking over the neighbouring villages, and Pendle Hill rises 557 feet above the sea level. So it's only really a few metres off being classified as a mountain. And I climbed it, but I'll tell you about that later. It was also once completely covered in forest, and villages at its feet were really wild and inaccessible, which kind of adds to the sense of mystery. So there's evidence of human habitation and activity in the Pendle area dating back thousands of years and they've actually found flints including some small axe heads which date back to the Middle Ages and it suggests that men may have settled here as early as 14,000 years ago. That's pretty impressive, that's quite a way back. Oh yeah, there's so much history here, so even further back than the sort of the witches that we were going to be talking about, but 14,000 years. The area is also thought to have been inhabited by Iron and Bronze Age men, Anglo-Saxons, Romans, and even the Vikings. So loads of history here. And there's been remains of the Bronze and the Iron Age burial sites have been found, including one that's actually called the Devil's Apron. Doesn't get much creepier than that. On the summit, and there's been reports of hauntings and mysterious sightings dating back years, hundreds of years, back throughout history. That's pretty exciting. I know. So at the foot of Pendle is the neighbouring village of Cliffroy, which has this ominous and foreboding castle called Cliffroy Castle, which was actually built in 1189. And it's really, really imposing, but it's also said to be incredibly haunted. Ghostly some chanting's heard, and monks are seen in the pathways. There is a ghost of a man, I love this, who apparently regularly wakes locals up by shouting and singing nearby. And another (laughs) man, who was hung for murdering his wife and mistress, has also been seen. And there's even officers that were executed around sort of 1647 time that are also seen wandering the grounds. But wow. what makes Cliffroy Castle really eerie is there's this hole in the side of it. And legend says that it was actually made by the devil himself, who apparently threw a boulder from the top of Pendle Hill. 
yeah, that's not creepy at all, is it really? Not at all, not at all. But, however, without a doubt, the most notorious piece of history and possibly the most famous hauntings of Pendle Hill is that of the infamous Pendle Witches. Which you've probably heard of. I certainly have heard of the witches. So, so Lancaster in the early years of the 17th century was really remote and the roads were poor. And it was really full of history and worlds away from London. So, Lancaster in the early 17th century was remote and its roads were poor. So it was full of mystery because it was cut off from the rest of the country and it was worlds away from London in many, many ways. Throughout the country, there were places where the outside world could hardly touch, and one of these areas was, of course, Pendle and Pendle Forest. And it was here that, amongst the stark hillsides and the inaccessible valleys, the story of the Pendle Witches had its beginning. So, on the 18th of August, 1612, the notorious Pendle Witch Trial took place, which saw 12 people charged at Lancaster Castle. One was found not guilty, one died in prison, and the remaining ten were sentenced to death and hung on Gallows Hill. Wow. One of the reasons that this trial remains one of the most famous and best recorded witch trials in British history is due to a public account called The Wonderful Discovery of Witches on the Coventry of Lancaster by Thomas Potts. Now that's a mouthful. Yeah, that is a mouthful. (laughs) Definitely. I've never heard of this, so I'm quite excited to hear what he said. Now, interestingly, this name will come up again, so hold on to it. Thomas Potts, he is important. Now, in the historical terms, the Pendle Witches is significant due to their scale, because actually, only 500 people, which, when you say only, doesn't doesn't really give it a lot of... Yeah, takes away from it a bit. Yeah, but from what I understand is that out of those 512 of those were then accused of being witches and put on trial. Mm -hmm. That's quite a big percentage, isn't it, really, when you work it out? Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Hey! (laughs) In historical terms, the Pendle Witch Trials are significant due to their scale. Only 500 people were actually executed for witchcraft over a 300-year period, and statistically, this means that the 10 that were found guilty in Pendle actually represent 2% of all those that were found guilty across England over three centuries. Wow. Which is no wonder they've become so infamous. Yeah, you can understand why. That's quite incredible when you think about it. Mm, A huge percentage, really, just over the course of of one trial. Yeah. So I want to give you a little bit of context about the country at the time because this really helped us understand sort of what was going on. In 1612, Britain and Europe were in this political turmoil. We had the church and politicians were clashing, and political paranoia led to savage and brutal inquisitions against the perceived threat of witchcraft. We had James I, who was the king, and he was a Protestant and incredibly superstitious, and had a huge fascination with the supernatural. Personally, I think we probably would have gotten on quite well with him. He could have joined us. Yeah, he could be doing the podcast with us. He could do. He could He could be ironing out all the technical problems we're having. <laughs> I think we've got a resident ghost that's joined us for the ride. Just likes to pop in now and then. <laughs> I have to give him a name as we go through. Yeah. Oh. In fact, James I was so well known for his supernatural beliefs. A famous playwright at the time who worked for an acting troupe that James actually paid towards, wrote a really famous play all about the supernatural to pique the king's interest. That sounds quite interesting. What's it called? (laughs) Any ideas? I'm guessing, is it Shakespeare? Yeah. Yes! (laughs) I'm quite excited that I got that. 
And is yeah, it is it Macbeth? Yeah, full Yay! of supernatural themes. Well, floating knives so a- and witches and yeah. And that was why Shakespeare actually wrote, yeah, Hubble Bubble, Toil and Trouble. Yeah, Fire, that was why burning, Shakespeare actually cauldron, wrote. bubble. <laughs> fair That's is foul and foul is fair. Hover through the fog yep. and filth, yeah. You've been sitting in on my lessons, haven't you? <laughs> I haven't, actually. I remember studying that. I studied Macbeth at GCSE, so... I remember. But that's why Shakespeare actually wrote Macbeth. Because really? he was working for the king at the time, yeah. And the king was so superstitious that he believed in witchcraft, as you'll find out. And it really, yeah, was a huge part of his life. So we had a really superstitious king who actually went as far as publishing his own book called Demonology, Guide for Hunting Those Practicing Magic. Well, we need to get a copy of that. So, yeah. Yeah, sort of on the Kindle. Put that on the book list. <laughs> yep, good reads. Give it a <laughs> give it a review. Now, for a monarch to publish literature was obviously unheard of. It was unique for a head of state to publish such a work that was basically an instruction manual for his subjects to hunt witches. Wow! In which he states that witchcraft is treason, wow. not just against the monarch, but against God Himself. So. People took this work literature incredibly seriously. Well, wouldn't you if someone sent you that book and went, look at this, you've got to have a read of this. This is how you spot witches. I'd be like, okay. Plus, it was the monarch. So you don't don't mess with the king. Think bad things happen to people that messed with the monarch in these times. Well, you'd probably be accused of being a witch. (laughs) Absolutely. And as we're about to find out, that doesn't always end very well for you. So at this time, the lines between religion and witchcraft were blurred. Superstition was rife and society was in total crisis. And James I was living in fear of a Catholic rebellion, especially because he'd recently just survived a gunpowder plot, which we may have heard of. That that would be our notorious Guy Fawkes by any chance. Mm-hmm. So in fairness to him, if he had nearly been blown up a few years previously, so it's going to put a guy on edge. Yes. So we can yeah. understand why he may be feeling a little bit, a little bit superstitious at this point. Yeah. And Lancaster was thought to be a dangerous and magical land due to its Catholic stronghold. And it was described as a dark corner of the land that was miles away from the capital in many ways. We had England going backwards and forwards with this political whiplash between religions and we'd had a little bit of religious table tennis going on (laughs) so since henry VIII had broken from the church the country had been protestant for about two generations now so much of the country was enthusiastically protestant for the first time in this religious whiplash and catholics were increasingly feared as evil and there were people in lancaster that were following this old catholic religion which the authorities believed was dangerous and needed to be suppressed. Catholicism actually began to look almost like a very demonic religion to Protestants and closely began to be linked to witchcraft. So it was a really nervy, apprehensive time in and around the country. We had this climate of fear and it didn't take a lot to raise superstitions. And of course, if you want to please the king, Bag of witch. Yeah, you've got to keep yeah. him pleased, haven't you, really? Yeah. So the King James Bible was published a year before the Pendle Witch Trials, which actually states, Thou shalt not 
must suffer a witch to live. Wow. And James I had a real reputation for being his avid believer in witches and witchcraft. And he actually believed that witches were trying to kill him. He did believe that witches had tried to sink a boat that he and his wife had been on when they were coming back from their honeymoon. Well, after, you know, nearly being killed by Guy Fawkes and all the other stuff going on, I can understand why he may have become a little bit paranoid. Yeah, and also it's believed that due to his upbringing, he was probably told lots of horror stories about Catholics. And this led to the link between Catholicism and witchcraft even more. His mother was actually Catholic, and he was scared of following the same path, possibly. Because we have to remember who his mother was. Do you know? Uh, King James's mother was Mary. Yeah, Mary, Queen of Scots. Yep. Who was actually executed by For Elizabeth being I. being a Catholic. Yeah, because she was accused of being part of a rebellion yep. to overthrow her. So she was Catholic, and she was seen as a threat to the Protestant Queen. So rebellion and religious conflict and ultimate sacrifice was in King James's blood. He'd lived all this before. Plus there'd been attempts to kidnap him and even murder him. He was nearly blown up and he thought witches were trying to kill him. So yeah, he, he was pretty weary of everyone and pretty untrusting. So not to mention, for this paranoid king, the religious boiling point, as we've already mentioned, had come to a head just seven years earlier when the king and his entire parliament had, of course, nearly been blown up during the failed gunpowder plot by Catholics trying to overthrow the government. Now, although Guy Fawkes was captured, some of the co-conspirators were still at large, and we do know that Guy Fawkes didn't work alone. And many of these plotters actually fled, including the north of England and Lancaster. Ah, so Pendle. So, yeah, Pendle. So, at least that sort of area. So... So as mentioned earlier, one of the reasons that these are some of the most famous and best recorded witch trials in British history is due to a public account called The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the Coventry of Lancaster by Thomas Potts. And he was serving as a clerk to the court where the prisoners were on trial. And he made such detailed notes that later he published them, which is why we now know so much about the trial today. Now, interestingly... He dedicated his work to a Thomas Nivett, who was the man who actually arrested Guy Fawkes. Hmm. So, the plot thickens. And you can begin to see that there are links here. And Potts made a really clear connotation for the readers that about Catholicism and witches, and about them being traitors and terrorists. Oh. So, let's find out a little bit more about the witches and who they were. They came from two rival families in the Pendle Hill area. Is this the Demdikes? Yeah, the Demdikes and the Chattoxes. And these families had found themselves caught up in the purge to rid the country of witchcraft. The heads of these houses were Elizabeth Southern, who was nicknamed Old Demdike, and she was an old, blind, poor woman. And we had Anne Whittle, who was known as Old Chattox, and both of them were in their 80s. They did indeed self-identify themselves as witches or healers, and they practiced magic for payment. They were believed to be cunning women who used herbs and potions to cure ills. So I would say they're probably more healers or herbalists, and they would have been called cunning women. So these would be the women that the other villagers would rely on for healthcare, in adverted commas, 
when they couldn't necessarily have access to what would have been the doctors of the time. And to be honest, yeah, some of the doctors of the time, I don't know if I'd really want to have seen them anyway when they start talking about drilling holes into your head and stuff. I think I'd rather have the herbs, thank you very much. Yeah, so they basically were old. They were sort of healers and early pharmacists. <laughs> so they were both in the same line of work and they were actually rivals. And it's believed that a lot of the personal accusations about them came about because of a vendetta between the two families. But this then fueled the rumours as the families kept telling tales on each other. <laughs> so they both openly admitted that, that witchcraft had been practised by a number of people in the Pendle Hill area for many years. And due to the fact that they never really protested their innocence and they genuinely identified themselves as witches... That was obviously part of their undoing. So we have to remember that the word witch actually comes from the Anglo-Saxon, and it does mean wise. So these are wise old women. Perhaps not so wise after they've announced that they're witches and James is on a vendetta to get rid of witches. Probably wasn't the best idea. But in their mind, they were wise old women that were healers and early pharmacists. So they were witches. They actually self-identified as witches. And they were practicing herbal remedies and giving spells for payment. But of course, cunning women were often in trouble with the authorities and were at the risk of getting into trouble with the law if they fell out with their clients. So it's a bit of a high-risk job. Wouldn't want to be doing a risk assessment for that one. No. <laughs> However, where it gets a little bit darker and slightly more unusual is that old Demdike claimed that she once met the devil in the form of a young boy and once the devil in the shape of a dog had drunk her blood so that's we yeah. do have to find that a little bit questionable that, that's getting a bit more intense there yeah that's that that's that probably is where we kind of go okay there might be something else happening here so demdike looked through her daughter elizabeth device who had a deformity and her granddaughter, Alison Device, who was well known for stealing and begging. Now, all three of them were thought to be disturbed and poverty-stricken, and the villagers were wary of them. Now, they lived in Malkin Tower, and explicit alert, the 17th century word Malkin meaning slattern or slut. Nice! And the house, yeah, and the house was often referred to as Mocking Tower, which was the local word for shit. Nice! So, doesn't paint a good picture. It's not one of your fixer-uppers that you might see on Right Move or Zoopla. So, yeah, we've got shit towers. Nice! That's where I want to go on holiday. <laughs> yeah, sounds a good TripAdvisor review. Okay, so, in the other family, we had Anne Whittle or Old Chattox as she was known, and she was the rival cunning woman, and the devices did believe that she was also a witch. And this is because Elizabeth's husband had been making payment of oatmeal to Chattox. However, the year that payment wasn't made, he had mysteriously died. Which, of course, led everyone to be slightly superstitious and suspicious of her. Do we know how old he was, this guy, and was he sick before, or did they not? bother I'm... reporting that. I'm just intrigued because I'm going to be the sceptic here and go, well, 1600s probably wasn't the best time for sanitation. Probably wasn't the best time for healthcare. Probably meant Especially that... not in shit towers. Yeah, probably meant that people were going to die sooner rather than later. I don't know. Now that could just be my bad research. Or I'm just intrigued. 
Just wonder. intrigued. Yeah, I'll have to have a little look at that. So, in most times throughout history, family squabbling would have passed by unnoticed or would have been dismissed. However, these were not your usual times. Mm-hmm. Everyone was superstitious. Everyone was suspicious of everyone else, on edge and paranoid, and of course, tongues started wagging. <laughs> okay, so, what really sparked things, though, was on the 18th of March, 1612, Alison Device, the granddaughter of old Demdike, was out and about walking down a lane where she met a peddler. And as she was a beggar, she asked the peddler for some pins. Now, he refused, and so she responded, probably she would have done normally, and she cursed him for his rudeness. However, the peddler suddenly fell to the floor and was unable to move or speak, and he had to be carried to a local inn. And Alison was terrified because she thought she'd bewitched him, and she did rush to his bedside where she begged for forgiveness. Now, there's really detailed legal records, actually, of what happened to the peddler, and they described it as his head is drawn awry, his face deformed, his speech not well to be understood, his arms lame, especially the left side. He had a stroke. Yeah, that's what I would have said. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was just a terrible case of really, really bad, bad timing. timing. <laughs> yeah. That's extreme bad timing, isn't it? Let's be honest. But Alison believed that she had done this. And the peddler's son reported this incident to a local magistrate, Roger Knoll, who was an ambitious, devout Protestant and who saw a route to the success of his career by condemning Catholics. And he interviewed Alison, who had believed that she'd done this to the peddler. And ultimately, it was her fear here that led to the downfall of her and her entire family. Bless her. However, in the process, she also accused a neighbour, and rival cunning woman, who we already mentioned, Old Chattox, of bewitching and killing four other people and making clay figures of them. So she threw that in as well. Just thinking, if I'm going down, you're coming down with me, love. (laughs) This statement elevated the epic rivalry between the two families, and the Chattox families then pinpointed back at Alice's grandmother, Demdike of Witchcraft too. So, Demdike, Chattox, Anne and Alison were all arrested on the 2nd of April, 1612, and were all taken to Lancaster Castle. Now, Noel realised that this wasn't just a single incident, but he could now be actually heading up a major witch hunt and had the potential of ridding Pendle of witchcraft. Also getting the favour of the king. I mean, the king wants all these people dead. Yeah, please the king, bag a witch. (laughs) That's going to be my motto, I think, for this episode. Okay, so meanwhile, in March 1612, local justices of the peace were instructed to comply a report and identify anyone who refused to take communion in church in an attempt to sniff out any Catholics. However, on Good Friday 1612, Elizabeth Device, instead of attending church, actually threw a party, and in order to feed her guests, her son stole a sheep. That's pretty serious back then. Yeah, I actually have a relative who was hung for stealing sheep. That's pretty serious. Yeah. Very naughty. However, we have Granny, Demdike and Alison are now awaiting trial in Lancaster Castle, so the family were already under scrutiny. And this blatant refusal to attend church clearly didn't go down well and didn't help their cause. So this party was hugely controversial, and even to this day, people still question, was it just an Easter party? Was it a gathering of friends? Was it a solidarity party in support of those that had been arrested? Or was it... 
a gathering of witches. Oh dear. Yeah. So the local police hear that a gathering of witches is taking place and go to Morkin Towers to investigate. And with the recent gunpowder plot still in the forefront of authorities' minds, they are all accused that the partygoers had been there conspiring to blow up Lancaster Castle in an attempt to free the prisoners. So everyone present was arrested, and soon another eight people were sent to join the four that were already incarcerated in Lancaster Prison. But the range of people arrested was really quite unique. As well as the Device family, other suspects included Alice Nutter, who was from a really well-respected family, and she was arrested alongside her sister-in-law and a friend. Now, historians question why these families would have been together, as they seem like they're words apart. The Nutters were quite a well-respected family, and it seems it is quite unlikely that Alice Nutter would have been socialising with the local beggars and eating stolen mutton at Shit Towers. So, thoughts are that because she came from a strong Catholic family, and in fact two family members were priests and had recently been hung, drawn and quartered... Noel could have really easily used her to fill his narrative and almost trying to be killing two birds with one stone because, in fact, it's been suggested that Roger Noel and Alice Nutter actually had a boundary dispute at the time of her arrest. Convenient to get rid of her, then. Absolutely. Her conviction, if she was found guilty, would have removed a little problem for him. So, either way, Alice and her family were also arrested and taken to Lancaster Castle. But we can't really talk about the trial and, of course, the hauntings without mentioning Lancaster Castle. So, during the 18th and 19th centuries, large numbers of prisoners were tried in the castle's crown courts at Lancaster Castle, and more than 260 people were hung there, and even more were sent for transportation to Australia. Wow. Now, throughout history, the castle has housed thousands of prisoners, including those awaiting trial for a variety of different crimes. Prisoners of war, those that were committed no crime at all, but were actually suffering from mental health. And in fact, Lancaster Castle was known as the location that sentenced more people to death than anywhere else outside of London. So if you knew you were being trialled there, it must have been really terrifying with that reputation. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, great. Well, that's me done. Yeah. And in fact, the last execution there actually took place in 1910. Wow, that's quite and recent. until 2011, it was still a working prison. Wow. Yeah. So the prisoners were finally taken to Lancaster courtroom for trial on the 18th of August, 1612. Now, Alison didn't even want to defend herself. She was convinced of her guilt and she was absolutely beside herself. She was asked if she could restore the peddler back to health and she regretfully said that she couldn't. But she did suggest that her grandmother may have been able to have helped him. However, in the four months waiting for trial, Elizabeth Demdike, her grandmother, had actually died in prison, in the tiny prison cell. Which isn't unsurprising, she was in her 80s and the conditions in that cell must have been horrendous. It was a 20 foot by 12 foot space and it housed 20 prisoners. Ouch. Including the 12 that were accused of witchcraft. So you cannot imagine what it must have been like. Now, 400 years ago, it wasn't common for a witness to be brought into a courtroom to give evidence. But in this trial, a really important witness was called in and possibly the reason the outcome was what it was. So a young girl is brought into the courtroom. And she's brought in to testify against Alison. 
and the girl burst into tears and Alison is said to have screamed at her desperately. So the girl asked for the judge to remove Alison before she would continue and before she would speak and Alison was dragged out of the courtroom. The young girl then jumps onto a table and declares that Alison is a witch. Now, any idea who this young girl might have been? Oh, I can't remember the name, so do tell. It was her daughter. No! Alison's own nine-year-old daughter, Janet Device. Now, shockingly, it was Janet's testimony that sealed her mother's fate. And in fact, it was her testimony that would lead to the execution of ten other people, including members of her own family. Now, what's controversial here is that while the family had been imprisoned, it's impossible to say what happened to nine-year-old Janet. However, it's believed that she'd been staying with Roger Knoll. So he probably got to her then. Yeah, as she was crucial to the case that he was building. So in the King James book about demonology that we mentioned earlier, he actually states that children should be allowed to testify in court to gain a conviction against witchcraft. Which leads us to wonder if Roger Null had kept this in mind and took Janet in. Had he been prepping her for the trial? Of course, yeah. 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 That is a bit shady, isn't it? Let's be honest. Manipulating her in some way. And we do have to question what his motivation would have been for taking in a child that they found at a witch's meeting. Was it that Janet was bitter in some way? Because she actually grew up knowing that she was illegitimate. And she was called the bastard daughter of the household. Now, this would have obviously made her feel really isolated and different. And she could have been resentful, but she was only nine. And I can't believe that a nine-year-old could ever be that vindictive. Yeah, that's quite a big thing to ask a nine-year-old, isn't it? You need to come in and tell us about your mum, whether she's a witch or not. And the consequences, I don't know. I can't really remember when I was nine, but... I don't think I would fully grasp the situation that they'd put her in. Yeah, but also her testimony was really quite theatrical because Jenna's speech was recorded by Thomas Potts and she said to have jumped on the table and given the following speech. My mother is a witch and that I know to be true. I have seen her spirit in the likeness of a brown dog which she calls Bull. The dog did ask what she would have him do and she answered that she would have him help her to kill John Robinson of Barley and James Robinson and Henry Mitten. Now she then went on to talk about the Good Friday meeting. At 12 noon, about 29 people came to our house. My mother told me that they were all witches. She described the food they ate and named some of the people that she'd seen there, including her brother and her mother. But it wasn't just Janet who testified against Alison. Her son, James, did too. And he said that there were three skulls that had been robbed from graves at a church in Pendle and some of the teeth had been taken to Morgan Tower. Now, four of these teeth were presented in court, which had apparently been found at Morgan Tower by the police alongside clay figures. Now, teeth is going to be important later. Hold that thought. And these teeth and clay figures have been buried together in the ground. Giving evidence against his mother, however, didn't help James. Because Janet then turned on her brother too. This is a really messed up family, isn't it? That's, when you think about it, completely messed up. She said that James had been a witch for three years and that she had seen his spirit kill three people. She then went on to recite charms. She said that she'd heard her brother use them. 
So, again, the plot thickens. I mean, EastEnders has nothing on this plot line. Maybe they need to do a Pendle edition. Honestly. I mean, even in these days, family drama, I mean, makes, gosh, makes my family seem normal. Was It wasn't just her family, the Janet condemned, however. She also named Alice Nutter, again, and some of her friends and family. However, Alice and these prisoners were of a much higher class, and the judge was more demanding of evidence against them. So he actually arranged identity parades, mixing those that were accused in with other prisoners, and Janet went through one by one and easily picked them out. So in an attempt to catch Janet out, the judge then asked her if she had seen Joanna Style, a name that he'd made up, to which Janet denied that she'd seen anyone by this name. So she passed all the tests, and it made her seem quite believable. But she's still nine. She's still nine years old. Yeah. So using Janet's evidence in court actually changed the way that the law works to gain evidence from children. And testimonies of children are still used today, when there is a lack of alternative witnesses, fat children as young as three are still used in court to give evidence. So this court case really was groundbreaking. Now, ironically, we're going to go full circle, because this also became Janet's unravelling 20 years later. She would find herself standing back in the dock, but this time charged with the same offence of witchcraft, facing the same fate after the testimony of a child. So, in November 1623, a 10-year-old boy came home one evening and told his parents a really strange story. Edmund Robinson said that he'd been picking berries and saw two greyhounds. He tried to get them to chase a hare, but they wouldn't do it, so he beat them with a stick. Lovely. kid. One of the dogs apparently turned into a witch and the other a boy, and the witch, she then turned him into a horse. The witch apparently took him on the horse to an old house full of other witches where he watched them perform magic, but he got scared so he ran away and they chased him. He then apparently met a young boy who had hoofed feet and ended up fighting him. So we have a kid with a very overactive imagination and that probably should stay away from sugar, but nevertheless... It sounds like they're trying to get out of trouble as well, isn't he? It sounds a bit like it's a made-up story. Yeah, I was... I was late, yeah. and I don't want to get why. in trouble, Mum. Yeah. <laughs> but nevertheless, people believed him. Oh. Again, superstitious times, and people believed this elaborate story. And took his father actually took him from village to village to point out any of the witches that he'd seen. So in 1634, we had 20 people were identified by the boy, imprisoned, and put on trial including Janet Device, who was accused of killing Isabel, the wife of William Nutter. Now, again, all these families and their stories are so interlinked. It's just, yeah, crazy. However, in 1616, a boy had claimed that he'd been bewitched and nine women had hung, and it turned out afterwards that the boy was lying. So, odd that... Mm. Judges became much more cautious after this, especially if it was children giving evidence. So by the time that Janet was in the dock, the court were hearing Edmund's testimony. 17 people of the 20 that were found guilty and normally would have been sentenced to death. However, the judges were not entirely behind the verdict and were being a little bit more careful now. So it was referred to London and the King and they were actually found not guilty. But it's believed that 
they remained in prison where Janet is thought to have met the same end as old Demdike and probably died there because we then lost all records of her. Wow. So that's the story of Janet. But back to the Pendle Witches. The courts seem to be using the King James demonology book almost like a checklist. So the king says, witches use body parts for evil magic. Body parts were supposed to be found on their property. The book says... So the teeth. Yeah. Clay figurines were being used. Clay figurines were then found. Book said, children useful as a witness. And then we had this trial that uses Janet. So up until this point, children were considered minors until they were 14 but not, and not used in trials. But with the King James stating in his book that this was now okay, the court pretty much had written permission from the king. So it almost as though they were using the King James's work as a step-by-step and evidence stacked Do you think up. that they also might have planted some of this evidence just so that they could go through well, the checklist? Couldn't possibly say. I mean, <laughs> you do wonder. So evidence had stacked up by the end of the two-day trial and 10 people were sentenced to hang. Elizabeth Device, Alison Device, James Device, Anne Whittle, Anne Redford, Isabel Roby, Alice Nutter, Jane Borcock, John Borcock and Catherine Hewitt. So the day after the trial, the convicted witches were brought to Gallows Hill, which is still called that today, and eerily enough, is now actually a playground and a park. Nice. Mm, yeah. So the witches were hung in front of a quiet crowd, but it's sad, now this is awful, that they didn't all die straight away from having their necks broken. So some of them actually died from a slow strangulation. That's horrid. And this, unfortunately, wasn't unusual for the times. Uh, Often it took up to 20 minutes for people to hang, which is just horrific. Yeah. And there are accounts of families and friends actually coming forward and pulling on the legs of the person that's being executed to kind of speed up the process and end their suffering. It's just heart-wrenching. Now, normally, condemned prisoners were expected to make a last confession to save their souls, or a last-ditch attempt to, you know, save their lives. But Elizabeth and Alice never confessed, not even with their dying word. But why would you if you weren't a witch? Yeah, I mean, but they didn't even confess their innocence, which I think is probably another reason this big question mark still hangs over the whole thing. They probably would, I don't know, if it was me, I would have given up by that point. I was like, whatever I say, you're not going to listen to me, so I'm just not going to bother. No. Now, it's not known where the witches were buried. However, we do know that the Nutter family grave is in New Church, in the grounds of St. Mary's Church, and it's believed that her body may have been secretly interned in this grave. So I actually went for a trip to Pendle a couple of weeks ago and visited the grave. And there's actually an evil eye that's carved on the tombstone. Nice. Which is said to protect from the influence of witches. So make of that what you will. Nice. And what I'll, what we'll do is you can put some of our pictures up on social media so you can all see what I'm talking about. It's a beautiful church and beautiful grounds, but this carved skull is, yeah. Nice. Sounds quite very eerie. creepy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the real reason we're all here. With so much history and so much heartbreak, there's no surprises really that, of course, Pendle Hill and the surrounding areas are thought to be haunted. Yeah, there's quite a lot of history going on, isn't there, really? So, in fact, it's said to be one of the most haunted places in the UK, and according to the Lancaster Telegraph, and if you look at any of the top 10 haunted locations list, 
it's always up there. So today, the witches are said to haunt the buildings and the villages of Pendle Hill, and visitors to the many ghost tours which take place in the area are said to feel angry, and some guests even say that they felt like they are being strangled by ghostly hands. That doesn't sound nice. No. Now, it's said a feeling of anger can still be felt around the small town of Pendle, and locals are really wary of the hill at night. There's often ghostly figures that are spotted on the hill and in the surrounding forests as well. Now, many believe that if you're paranormal in life, then maybe you have more influence when you die. Mm. So it's, it does question maybe that might have something to do with it. I don't know. Now, considering the hill summit is also the site of a scientific Bronze Age burial ground, the alleged witches are thought to not only be the only restless spirit in this foreboding and lonely place. Now, I've been to Pendle twice, and both times it's been so atmospheric with this thick fog that rolls over the bleak and hostile countryside. It's honestly beautiful, but it is eerie. I was just going to say that sounds a bit creepy. Yeah, it just has this mysterious feeling about it. So on one of my visits a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I actually went to Pendle Hill and explored the area. And I had been before. I actually went for a ghost hunting weekend previously with a company. And we spent the weekend investigating different haunted areas. Um, and we stayed in this hotel and did things like table tipping and spirit boards and EVPs. And it was actually a really quiet weekend. And we didn't get a lot of activity. So I was desperate to go back and have another weekend there. Plus... I received the most amazing gift from none other than this gorgeous girly sitting opposite me the other week, and she texted me to tell me that to, I need to check my front porch. And my very own spirit board had turned up, so I had no choice but to go and have my own little investigation weekend, much to my husband's discomfort. Plus, now <laughs> I had an excuse because we were doing a podcast and I knew I wanted to do Pendle Hill. So, you know, it, it would have been rude not to have gone back. <laughs> so, we were staying in the Pendle Inn, which is at the foot of Pendle Hill itself, and I was actually talking to the staff about our podcast. And I asked them if they had any spooky stories they would like to share. And they told me about how just a couple of days earlier, things had come flying off the shelves. And that this wasn't unusual. Apparently, a TV also fell off a wall recently. And they wouldn't go into the manager's room on their own, as it's supposed to be haunted and has this really creepy, creepy feeling. <laughs> they told me about someone who they call Scary Mary. And they actually asked if... I would be right to do a little investigation. Aww. To which I quickly agreed before my husband could say no. <laughs> but first, during the day, we had to climb the hill. Now, I mentioned earlier that Pendle Hill is actually only a few metres off being a mountain. And I must admit, I didn't know this before we climbed. Probably better to so... have not known it beforehand. I think it would have put me off if someone went, yeah, it's almost a mountain, but not quite. I'd be like, I'll sit in the pub at the bottom, I'll wait for you. Well, you say that, but we set off with no rucksack, no oh, drinks, no. no supplies, nothing. So you've just got these two, you know, in our jeans and t-shirt, going for a little stroll. Up Pendle up Hill. A mountain. <laughs> yeah, and there are two routes that you can take. So you can take the moderate or the challenging climb. And, of course, I turned around to find my husband had already chosen 
the challenging hey. time. <laughs> However, he soon regretted it, and I think he regretted it more than I did. Uh, Especially funny. when we came across some other climbers who had full climbing gear and sticks and, oh my goodness, and there we were in our jeans, t-shirts, and little sneakers. I bet they looked um, at you going, <laughs> you crazy people. <laughs> you have no they idea. Did, they did. Yeah, they did, as they were coming down, they did look at us as if to say, <laughs> enjoy this. <laughs> but it is a beautiful climb, and I would definitely recommend it. And again, we'll put some pictures up on our social media. Well, I say we. Nick will put some pictures up on our social media, because Nick is the tech guru. I am completely technophobic and useless at all of this. So Nick will put pictures up on our social media, and you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. But it is absolutely beautiful but there is this really eerie feeling and especially in the wind and oh man was it windy (laughs) but what was really really interesting was as we were climbing up you could hear what sounded like voices really now i'm guessing it was the wind but it did really sound like voices that's creepy it almost sounded like children really oh my goodness at one point it was like whispering or almost as if you could hear someone calling out in the distance. It honestly really did. Creepy. So this could be what people were hearing, but and I can certainly see why people would say it sounds like they're hearing people talking or screaming or because it really, really did. And when we got to the top, we did do an EVP session and I did get my spirit board out, but it was so windy. It's just impossible for you to hear. Or you can hear is me shouting over the wind. And also, there was probably no energy up there because we were just trying to keep warm. (laughs) And not be blown off the top of a mountain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. However, I think I did get an EVP later on in the day, which I will ask Nick to put on social media as well. How old are you? Can you make a whistling noise? Let's hear your voice. So we then explored a few more places around the local area, including seeing the statue of Alice Nutter that was placed on the trail in 2012 to mark the 400 year anniversary. And of course visited a little witchy shop and got a witch's brew mug to 
Oh, yeah, we then went to the Heritage Centre and, of course, visited the church where Alice Nutter is thought to have been buried. Now, there's a few other specific locations that are also said to be haunted in the local area. We have Billhole Farm. It's said to have once been owned by Alice Nutter. And there's a derelict barn there where Demdike is thought to have bewitched a cow. And Chattox is said to have cast a spell that turned the milk sour. And there's actually an old stone house on the site which has its own presence as well. Um, Not really linked to the witches but there's supposed to be a shunned pregnant serving girl there who's said to be really protective of women on the site but has a total disregard for men which you can understand given her circumstances. Now we didn't go to the barn this time but when I did the weekend investigation a couple of years ago... I don't know if it was that specific barn, but I do remember we went and visited a barn location and it was actually this location that freaked me out the most. It just felt uncomfortable. It was almost like you shouldn't be there and there was these noises around the barn and when you're standing in the pitch black and you could hear rustling coming from behind you, which could have been mice and things in a barn, but still my nerves were completely on edge. And I just felt really, really uncomfortable in there. And to be honest, it was the most uncomfortable I'd felt for the whole investigation weekend. Now, I've also read that a lot of the locals have mirrors on the outside of their houses, and this is said to reflect away evil spirits. So clearly people around the area do believe that something supernatural is going on. And there's also a farm called Tyndale Farm. There's these derelict remains of a once proud Tudor dwelling there. And there's often frequent sightings of monks and a woman in grey and a house there that's said to be really, really active. And it was actually bought by a local family and they alleged to have a house full of spirits and they often hear light screams and bangs. And it is also said that the locals won't go anywhere near it. Well, I think I'd rather not if I had the choice. Yeah, to be fair. Now, another place we have to mention uh, when it comes to hauntings is, of course, Lancaster Castle, which we did talk about earlier. And it's one of the most haunted locations associated with the Pendle Witches. And it's not surprising, considering the hundreds of years of dark history that's associated with the castle. So tour guides have heard hushed whispers and the sound of footsteps in the courtroom. There's high-pitched noises that are often heard, and blue orbs have been seen with the naked eye in the cell where the Pendle witches were held before their trial. Now crying can also be heard from the barrister's library, which again, when people investigate it, is found to be empty. Could you imagine? Yeah, no. According to the Lancaster Castle website, on Monday the 28th of January 2013, security footage captured a shadowy figure walking inside the gatehouse entrance. Now, I've been looking everywhere for this footage, but I can't find it. So if anyone finds it, please share it to our page. I'd love to see it. I've been searching everywhere for it. And staff have stated that daytime visitors often report being pushed. And this is becoming a common event, apparently. It's happening more and more now. But again, with more than 200 prisoners being executed at this site, it's no wonder that so much paranormal activity is now being experienced. There's also a black monk that's said to haunt the prison grounds at night. And he is believed to have been hung at the prison and usually seen at ground level of the castle, his presence is often followed by an icy chill. So much going on. Loads going on. There's also a haggard woman and child that's been seen, and past inmates and prison officers have also seen the apparition of a young girl. 
and her appearance is often accompanied by another woman. However, sometimes this woman's middle-aged, and sometimes she's seen as being this old, haggard woman. And there is also sounds of children running up and down corridors. Now, Elizabeth Demdike herself is said to haunt the old cell in the World Tower, where she died when she was awaiting trial. So, Sounds yeah. like an interesting place to go and visit. So, as mentioned, we stayed at the Pendle Inn, and um, after climbing Pendle Hill, we went back to the inn in the evening, and we did our own little investigation. And the staff were really wonderful. They even let my husband and I go into the staff-only room, where they were having the most activity, so we could do a little investigation for them. And we set up some trigger objects, which are these little cat toys, the Nick got, and I got out my EVP recording. Initially, it was really quiet, and although we had a few small movements on the spirit board, it wasn't making a lot of sense. But eventually, the board did tell us that there was a female aged between 23 or 24, and told us that there were four other spirits in the room. And then the movement of the board started to change. It went from this fluid, slow movement to being stronger. (laughs) And we just kept getting no for every question that we asked. So obviously someone after that just did not want to talk. And we also then did a session in the cottage that we were staying in because we were told by the staff that there was some paranormal activity in the cottages too and the guests had had quite a few experience. And again, to be fair, it started really slow. And didn't make a lot of sense. We just kept getting the letter C and the number 12. But to be honest, considering there was only the two of us and not a lot of energy, I'm surprised anything moved at all. So it kind of does show that there's got to be quite a lot of strength, I think, with these spirits. Yeah. Behind something to get it to yeah. move. So, mm. so that's my experiences. But I also have a few accounts from other people that I know. So I know a lady who owns a paranormal investigation company. And we met on another investigation weekend. You'll learn about me that I love paranormal investigations. So I'm, yeah, always going to be dropping these in. And I was in touch with her recently as she now owns her own company. So paranormal presence, go check them out. So this is an account from Alison from Paranormal Presence. She's a friend of mine that I met on a previous investigation. And I asked her if she'd ever been to Pendle. And this is what she told me. We went to Pendle Hill as it's a place I've always wanted to investigate my whole life. As we were at the bottom of the hill, we did a call out in a circle. Around us, we could feel shadows walking around us and our K2 meter got a spike when we asked about Alice Nutter and the witches. We got from the K2 meter that the witches were actually innocent, so it was a fascinating, intelligent conversation. We also found the graves of the witches in Pendle Village, and we met up with some other investigators, and the K2, Rempod, and Catballs all went off on command when we were communicating with the witches. Very cool. Very cool. We did a few EVPs and heard whispers of an intelligent conversation. We also found the graves of the witches in Pendle Hill. We met up with some other investigators and the K2, Ram and Catballs all went off on command when we communicated with the witches. We did a few EVPs and heard whispers but couldn't quite make out what was being said. So it sounds like she had some really, really exciting experiences. But I think I've saved the best story until last. 
So Hazel is the owner of Haunted Happenings, which is a brilliant paranormal events company. Go check them out. She told me a story about an investigation a group did up on Pendle Hill. And she has a story on her website that states that whilst carrying out a Ouija board experiment on Pendle Hill at the foundations of Morkin Tower, a tooth landed on the centre of the table. No. Now, this shocked everyone concerned, and after having obviously checked to ensure that nobody in the group had lost a tooth, which was definitely human, it left us in a quandary as to how it got there. The tooth was identified as belonging to an adult of around 40 years of age and was in fact an old tooth. Okay. I asked her about the tooth and she said it was clearly very, very old. It was yellow and that they were absolutely flabbergasted. Yeah, no. Yeah, so creepy. So creepy. So, what do you all think? Were the witches guilty of witchcraft? Or were they just unfortunate victims of the times? Yeah, because I don't think they were guilty of anything. I think that they got a bit carried away. I think that, yeah, I don't think they were guilty at all. I think that it was a sign of the times. It's a way to persecute women. And if they didn't understand it, it was an easy way to get rid of women they didn't want around anymore or didn't like. I think that's the thing, uh, you know, old women who were widows, but also it was used as a political tool in a religious battle. Definitely. Where, you know, I think that it was almost a, you had this religious conflict going on and how better to get rid of people that you didn't want around anymore, people that didn't agree with the religion of the times, but to declare them being guilty of witchcraft they were probably also trying to gain favor with the king by following through with what he wanted and his agenda which would probably improve their social status yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely so there is this petition that um the blackpool dungeons have set up so i'm sure we can uh, attach some information well fantastic that was really interesting I have learnt so much about Pendle Hill that I never knew before. I knew some of it, but obviously not all of it. Well, fab, thank you. If you have any ideas on what you'd like to have us cover, if you have any stories, you can find us at our website, which is eerie-encounters.co.uk. You can also find us on all the social media, so we're on Facebook and Instagram mainly. If you'd like to email us, you can send anything to podcast at eerie-encounters.co.uk. So with all of that done, I've been Nick. And I'm still Sarah. (laughs) I don't know about that. And this is Eerie Encounters.